0: do I become a drug addict or do I take my life or do I just plunge into a world of depression? Um, and then there's this other fork in the road that, that gets you to seven Berlin wins. I mean, how do, you,
1: how do you take the right fork? I didn't have one bad day. I broke my neck. I carried on with life. I'm still running, just in a different way. Yeah. So I did not hit that depression. It wasn't a fork in the road there for me. I just always feel that um, when a bad thing happens, it's an opportunity to be great, so I honestly believe um, you can turn any situation into something great, but it starts within yourself and you have to believe it um, and, and trust yourself.
0: Hi, welcome to the High Performance Athlete Podcast, the show designed to help you compete at your highest potential. My name is Mike Roscoe, the owner of SBR Sport. Over the years, I've worked with both runners and triathletes, from comrades gold medalists to podium level triathletes. I'm looking forward to having you on this journey with me, where we're going to speak to a lineup of experts, doctors, sports psychologists, professional athletes, and other thought leaders who will give you the tools and mindset needed to perform on a whole new level. Make sure you've subscribed to this podcast to catch all new episodes and share it with your friends and training partners. I've known Peter for, it must be about a decade now, I think, and um, what I want you to understand as you listen to this morning's podcast is you are listening to an athlete that I think Um, should have a name as big as someone like Bruce Fordyce or Custis Amenia. When you listen to his CV, his CV is profound, and I'll give you a little bit of his CV. So, bottom line, Peter is a quadriplegic. Um, He broke his neck, and we'll go into that uh, in in just a little while, um, between, I think, C6 and C7. Um, And since then, he has managed to complete four Ironmen, Bear in mind that he 's doing that on fifteen percent of his muscles, so in other words eighty five percent of the muscles uh, were paralyzed at that moment, fifteen percent of them are working so that 's four iron men down he 's got seven Berlin marathon wins in his category of athlete. There's no one in South Africa that's ever got anywhere close to anything like that. World champion on the bike. Um, his CV is just absolutely profound. So Peter, big welcome to you.
1: Uh, thanks a lot, guys.
0: So to say that I'm a big fan would be an, an understatement. Um, my respect for you is, is is kind of endless. We did a, a half Ironman together a number of years ago when the tri series was on. I think it was your first ocean swim since your accident.
1: Yes, yeah. So um, that was actually sort of en route to, to doing my first, um, I think, off Ironman and eventually my Ironman. That's right. As part of a practice run. So, so yeah, you know, it was... Um Quite a cool race, I remember it being.
0: There was Durban. I remember the night before, you kind of said to me, "Just look after me in the ocean."
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um, uh, because obviously there, there are no supporting muscles around your spine, and we were nervous that uh, a big wave would come along and and literally destroy you. And
1: yeah, and and also obviously I can't cough and those kind of things with the breathing side of things. So yeah. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot of factors there.
0: <laughs> so, it was one of the wildest swims in my entire life. <laughs> uh, just so that people know what happened, uh, Peter f- does a backward or a or, or Backstroke but with both arms in order to get his swim right and so he can't see where he's heading um, because he's kind of headfirst into the waves and we, we had an agreement that when there was a small wave I would lift his body a little bit, when there was a large wave I'd tap three times on your sternum or on your chest and then I'd push you underwater. Um, in order so that we could get, uh, get through the worst part of the of the wave.
1: Yes, yeah, so and tapping you was obviously just to let me know, okay, I'm going to go underwater, so i take a breath.
0: Take a deep breath, and uh, with that, I'd, I'd kind of like try and shove him down onto the ocean floor. Yeah. Um, Peter was then torpedoed quite nicely so that he was in a good position to absorb the force of the wave, and I kind of then got thrown back, and I tell you what, I've never ever prayed so much in all my life, <laughs> it Was kind of just going, please let him survive this thing, and then you would float again and just continue, and so I kind of, I've always known that you're a person of, of, of incredible courage, but that was kind of just one of those things of... of Witnessing it firsthand, can we go over your accident? When when did that happen?
1: Yeah, so um, I was still at Varsity, um, busy with my honours degree. Um, and As an actuary, yeah. Well, so I did my degree in actuarial science, and I, because I, I was a Rau University, or well, the University of Janneberg now, um, I um I sort of did my honours in investment management at that point. Um, okay. but it it was all stuff that you could still sort of get your exemptions off. Um, as an actuary as well. But I stayed at Rao University because I was on a sports bursary there. Um, so, you know, I stayed in the sports house and all those kind of things, you know. So they they, they really, you know, looked after me even before my accident general you know, varsity, et cetera. So I was very, very privileged um, with the bursary, and et cetera. So, but yeah, you know, so already big into athletics Athletics and, and triathlons and things with big dreams, you know, still the Olympic dream at that point in time, yes. etc. So. Um,
0: and you had all the talent to get
1: there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's But you know, from when I was little, sports was always just a big thing. Yes. You know? So. Um, anyway, so that was um, six October 2003 when I was actually on my way to a chiropractor to get my spine in alignment. I had a bit of a hamstring niggle and. Uh, I had gone to this chiropractor before, um, and it was 30 k's out, I had to do 60 k's of cycling, so I thought, I'd kill two birds with one stone, and um, then on my way to get my spine in alignment, uh did and see me and knocked me off my bike, and obviously got my spine completely out of alignment.
0: Yes, so you didn't need the chiropractor. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, exactly, so it's actually very ironic, um, but yeah, and I mean, it, it, it was incredible for me, because I mean, I was lying there on the top face down, um couldn't move a thing and then this lady just started running towards me hysterically she thought a rock hit her car until she saw the bike when she got out um and yeah you know i calmed her down um she was crying and screaming and i just told her you know i forgive her let's just calm down so we could focus on the situation and deal with it
0: just can we stop there for a moment so so you were lying there did you did you realize at that point that that you were paralyzed
1: i mean the luck of the draw is i could then still breathe Yes, I knew my neck was injured. Um, look at that point. I didn't know whether it was going to be permanent or not, but I couldn't move a thing. At that point, I couldn't move my shoulders even. So, um, and then, luckily, other people also obviously arrived and stopped. Um, and then they took the lady away because she was just screaming and crying, going hysterical. So,
0: now, now you said a moment ago that you were trying to calm her down. Yeah. Just
1: so, I mean, how did that work? Yeah, look, again, it's a much bigger story than just what happened on that day. Um, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, I am a man of faith. I'm no angel, but I'm a man of faith, so it's actually a crazy story. But that's a different story, a long story, into yeah. what happened on that day. But um, the point just being for me, it's just amazing how, for me, God was there with me, calming me down, helping me deal with that situation, you know, so... But, you know, even from sport, you know, when I'm in a, like, stressful situation, I tend to be more calm. That's how my personality works, you know. Okay. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, for me it was just amazing how I was calm, calmed her down. I told the people where my cell phone was and, you know, to phone, et cetera. You know, I always I phoned my dad first because I knew my mom would freak out. Um, yes. Then my dad didn't even answer his phone, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, you know. So then um, I went to one hospital just in the south.
2: Just
0: can I pause you for yeah. a moment? You said at that moment you forgave her. Is uh, uh, do you not sit there for months after that and stew over that and go stupid driver? H- just no. qualify that a bit for me.
1: You know the the crazy thing for me is um, I would get more cross with small little things, but when there's big things in my life, it's almost easier for me to forgive. But I always say, you know, forgiveness sets you free. Uh, you yeah. Know, uh, that's how I say it. But if you don't forgive somebody, you you will go on for months or years or whatever and not carry on with your life. So why don't you just forgive? You know, so, look, yeah. I mean, the lady was sober. She she just didn't see me. It's an accident. It happened yeah. to everybody. It yeah. was just an accident. Yeah. You know, um, I've been in thought at a robot or something, and God forbid it, I've just not had something happen to someone else I get you. You know, across the red line. Yeah. So it happens. It's life. So so for me, yes, I make it look simple. It's may, maybe it's not that easy for others, but you know, for me, as I said, maybe God just made it easy for me. I don't know, but um, you know, she even came to the hospital and brought me food, etc. cetera. That's, uh, and I mean, her, her struggle of not carrying on with life or until the day I walk into her house, she'll probably feel guilty. That's her struggle. That's not mine. Yes. You know, for yes. me, that's her problem. I forgave her life carries on yeah i kind of think so it's
0: almost that stoic thing of control the controllables exactly and, and this was out of your control and so it's yeah, yeah.
1: No, exactly and and i mean look uh, i don't have any issues with other people who hold a grudge against somebody who that, you know ended up causing that accident um or whatever but for me i 'm just glad that that 's how I dealt with it in that, um, because obviously it made my life a hell of a lot easier, you know, so
0: yes all right, so now let 's pick up, sorry I interrupted you there no. let 's pick up from there, so from there, it was obviously off to hospital
1: Yes, so I went to the nearest hospital, yeah, um, and there I actually started struggling to breathe, um, and then uh, the, after the x rays they did they realized they couldn 't deal with the severity, and then obviously I from Mobarton Hospital, I was taken to the Union hospital. Um, where I then ended up you know, spending my time in ICU and I was operated on, et cetera. So, um, but yeah, so essentially what happened was I broke my femur, crossed my kneecap, broke both my wrists, and then the most of you of that was breaking my neck. Um, yeah. And you initially mentioned C67. Functionally, I am C6 level now. But I actually have a plate from C4 to C7. Okay. But um, I got injured, like there's certain things at C3 level on my sensory side that's also you know injured so yes. um but that's why you know because i got the swelling went up um i couldn't breathe i was on a ventilator for 32 days um and the swelling went all the way up to the brain stem because i lost control over my eyes um at two weeks in i i couldn't see anymore it, it was you know i could see light and dark but i couldn't focus my eyes was gone um and then that took while I was on the ventilator, that luckily after two weeks I started getting one eye, one eye, eventually double vision and I got my vision back. But So there was a lot of complications um, that while I was still sort of um, on the ventilator, and I mean I was put in an induced coma um, for a week because they couldn't operate, there was too much swelling, a piece of bone lying on the cord. So they had to wait for the swelling go down, pump cortisone, all those things. My head wasn't traction. I had these screws in my head with weights pulling it.
0: To try and stabilise, stabilise the neck, and, yeah.
1: Reaction, um, while I was in that induced coma to keep me still, obviously. So, um, so yeah, you know, it, it, there was a lot of complications. I mean, I ended up spending 42 days in ICU, and um, I was on the ventilator for 32 days before I started breathing by myself. Um, wow. Yeah, and I mean, that's look, a, I mean, ICU, number. as I say, I can spend days... Telling you about morphine and hallucinations And what's real, what's not real um, I just personally remember the worst day Was when um, I did lose that my control of my eyesight And I was put into an um, MRI scan And nobody telling me what's going on Because my helmet did break So they thought I had a head injury then as well um, And then the guy You can't have machines or betel in the machine For MRI So a guy to manually breathe me. And nobody told me what's going on. I was just suddenly in this machine making this noise, you know, because I'm still half on morphine hallucinating. Yes. And then I'm breathing and then I think I'm dying. I I can't breathe anymore. And then I'm breathing and then I can't breathe anymore. Um, And, yeah, you know, I just always say um, after that, the guy who was actually manually breathing me told his colleague he never ever wants to do that again. It was so stressful. (laughs) And I just said, well, I hope he never has to do it again because he was pretty crap at doing it. I mean, I thought I was I'm dying. I'm stressed outside. listening to this. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that was sort of my worst moment in ICU, if I can put it that way.
0: Yeah. Now, how do you get from there? I, I suppose at, at some stage you face a fork in the road and you go, do I become a drug addict or do I take my life or do I just plunge into a world of depression? Um, and then there's this other fork in the road that, that gets you to seven
1: Berlin wins. I mean, how do you, how do you Uh, take the right fork? So I had that fork, I would say about, if I think about it, six, seven months, maybe even eight months before my accident.
0: Okay. And, And
1: again, it was more a fork of, um, I had fights with God because I had been doing all these things right and. Um, but anyway, as I say, that's a long story. But um, and yeah, there I, I just started questioning my faith. Um, and for three months, I just decided, well, I almost wanted to throw faith down the, rinse down the toilet, if can put it that way. And then I just read this book, *The Alchemist*. Um, and yeah, that just sort of changed my whole perspective. Where I just realised God like, takes me through these whole ma- massive journey. Um, only to realize that the real, you know, how can put it? You know, the, the story is about a boy, a shepherd, who leaves his flock and he goes out to look for this a magic treasure that he knows about. Mm-hmm. And he goes through this life journey for years where he almost dies and et cetera, only to find out that the treasure was under the tree, buried under the tree where he, where he always slept as a shepherd. Yes. And once he got to the treasure, he realized the real treasure wasn't the treasure. It was that whole journey that he was taken on.
0: Oh, I love it, yeah.
1: And anyway, the point for me was that just hit home on how God takes me through this whole journey. And the point is, by the time I hit my accident, um, uh, and there was two weeks before that, there's some crazy thing also happened. Um, But I was just, for me, uh, I, I, I always say I feel I was born to be a quadriplegic. I think I'm exactly where I should be. Yeah. And point being... I didn't have one bad day. I broke my neck. I carried on with life. I'm still running, just in a different way. Yeah. So I did not hit that depression. It wasn't a fork in the road there for me. There it was just about, okay, now this has happened. I don't know where this is going to end. But, um, you know, the crazy thing is I tell people in ICU, like after after ICU rehab, having to try and figure out how to get rest. Yes, and people told me you'll never be able to be independent you can't get dressed by yourself completely etc um, that was fun for me the, you know, the challenge the, of the it challenge. Yeah. I saw it as a challenge that stuff was fun for me and now I mean you're in the prime of your life suddenly you're back on nappies no control of your bowel, your bladder these so are things people don't know about Yeah. Um, and you can't do anything and now figuring out to dress is fun for me You know. so all I'm saying is I'm just really, I don't think I, I can ever say thanks enough for the grace from above about how things just happen and how I just saw life and, and uh, you know, as a quadriplegic even, how I just took on these challenges. Um, so for me, I'm just incredibly blessed that that's how it happened for me because for yeah. most people it doesn't happen like that and some never get over it, some takes a couple of years. Yes. Back. And when I go to rehabs showing other guys how to get dressed and do things, um, then I realize, yes, like this is supposed to be well, I mean, it was supposed to be hot. Yeah. These guys are seriously struggling, you know. So yeah.
0: I want to spend a little bit of time just discussing your athletic career post the the, the accident. Um, twenty fourteen. I think you're the the wheelchair guys take off for half an hour before the elite men at, a, at an event like Berlin Marathon, am I right?
1: Yes, so different different of these major marathons, the timing is slightly, slightly different, yeah. but I think Berlin on that day was about 25 minutes.
0: Okay, so so just to give people a little bit of context, I'm sitting at home, I know that uh, Peter has gone across with his wife Ilse to, to Berlin. Um, as I said earlier, he's got seven Berlin Marathon wins, uh, show me anyone else like that in the world, and um, and, and I can remember, I'm watching this, and Dennis Cometo that year is on track to break the world record. So all the cameras are on him. Uh, he comes, the, the camera's on Dennis Cometo. He's coming around the Brandenburg Gate, and the camera's now got that long shot from Brandenburg Gate through to the finish to give a little bit of context. And I suddenly look on the right-hand side of, of the screen, and I can see Peter Dupree coming down there. <laughs> and your wife has got an amazing photograph. So, so Ilse is standing somewhere along that that the track. Funny
1: thing is I have to say, she takes brilliant photographs. But that wasn't her. She, oh, wasn't that her? She her oh. that was actually, a professional photographer on the.
0: I will just credit. We'll credit Ilse because she does. She takes amazing yeah. photographs. <laughs> and there's this phenomenal photograph of. Dennis Cometo, and he is at full steam, and there's that look of pure agony in his face, and that mouth is just gritted open. He's probably running at, 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 at a sub-four-minute mile at that uh, point, trying to, uh, trying to get the world record, and you're alongside him, and you're almost, I don't think, even think you're aware that he's getting past you because you're also going for the world record. And so it's just an amazing photograph. I mean, it's it, two champions in, in one photograph. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, look, that, that was quite special because, look, I knew the people there, I mean, they cheer for the wheelchairs, but um, that was almost like it reminded me of um, Paralympics in 2012, 80,000 people in the Olympic yes. Stadium. Um, but because the people were going insane, because I think they knew he was going to get it. It's the last 200 metres, basically. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I, I felt like they were cheering for me. Ah. Even though I know they were cheering for him going for the world record, I mean, they didn't know that I was like close to my own world record as well. And, you know, but I did break the African record at least as well. But that was a special moment, John, yeah, a special it photograph.
0: It is an amazing thing, yeah. Um, so seven Berlin marathons, four Ironmen. Um, just to give a little bit of context again, um, with the muscles that you have in use, you haven't got pec major in use. That's the main chest muscle. You've got pec minor. You've got yeah. your deltoids?
1: To be honest, I've got very little pec minor even. Um, Is that know, maybe a, not full okay. function. Yeah. Um, it's more like, I want to say, even on the lats, I know lats. So it starts with teres. Teres minor. Yes, yes. minor. Ach major. But essentially, to, to sum it up, it, it's really just my wrists, my biceps, and my shoulders. Yes. That's essentially what you can say I do have. Um, no hand or finger movement. No functional triceps. um, and then obviously from chest down, nothing. So very, very little.
0: So to go over now, just so people get an idea, um, your swim is obviously in a wetsuit. You, on your back, you're doing a double arm backstroke. Your bike ride is almost in, in a bicycle that kind of looks like a Formula One car. Yes. Where you've got the pedals in front of you and and you're turning those pedals. And then when you get onto the run, it's then in a wheelchair Uh, And I think what's quite interesting is to watch Peter in the wheelchair. An athlete like Ernst van Dijk has got triceps, so when he pulls up with his arms, he's able to flick his arms forward and get a lot of power from his triceps. When you watch Peter at work, he's got a grip with his hands. He then almost shrugs up, but then hasn't got the triceps. So from that shrug up, uh, in clock terms when he gets to twelve o'clock he's now gotta drop his hands down where Ernst van Day can kind of push through to about two or three o'clock and get a lot yes. more power from from
2: that.
1: So the paraplegics they actually don't even stay on the push they hit the push only with their, I almost say only with their triceps. Yes. It's the triceps and the flick of their hands. And to be honest, once they get going they literally just push between four and six, hitting that push room between yes. four o'clock and six o'clock. Okay. Where I'm I've got my own little way of trying to keep a circle movement, staying on the push rim. Um, So it's completely different strokes. I mean, to put it in perspective also, paraplegics, their world record for the racing chair on a marathon is an hour and 20 minutes. Our, okay. world, our world record oh, yes. is two hours, 23 minutes.
0: Okay, so significantly I mean, slower without slower. that power from your tricep yes. muscles. Okay. Huge, huge difference. Huge difference, yeah. Now, now an interesting story, uh, I can remember you were training for your first Ironman and you were putting in big hours. I mean, that was what... What kind of hours were you putting in?
1: Yeah, look, and I I just have to disclaim that now if I train for Ironman, I probably won't do that, but that was a psychological thing. There were certain marks I wanted to hit. Yes. So, you know, my, my, my longest... Um, base week was 35 hours physical training It's a
2: big week okay
1: uh, I mean even my coach told me I don't have to do this I don't have to go and do a eight and a half nine hour ride yeah but I told him I want to do one at a certain pace for me to believe that I can do it
2: yes because
1: remember I had to go and do something that's never been done before exactly and to be honest I had to do the able body cutoffs as well um, and to be honest the speed I had to hold on the bike at that point just to make the cutoff was like 1k an hour um, less than the fastest speed that a guy of my class had done over like a 42k distance.
0: And you've got 180 to go.
1: Yeah. I able to draft on that bike race then.
0: I mean, that's just, I mean, the, the maths behind that is insane, just the the sheer, and I think what, what I, I can remember, I think it was about eight weeks before, I got a frantic call from your wife to say that someone in the cradle had done a U-turn on their bicycle and they had ridden into your arm and they had broken your arm.
1: Yeah, six weeks before.
0: <laughs> six weeks before, and Ilza was completely distraught. Um, and I can remember you got to the point where you just kind of started to train on on the quiet. Your orthopod didn't know that you were
1: training. <laughs> no, I mean, so that's the, again, for me, that's a, it's a journey of faith. Um, you know, people talk about being in the zone and, um, I mean, you're in the zone on a race day. But to be really honest, I was in the zone for that Ironman for six months. Uh, yeah. I cannot explain that to you, but I literally was in the zone for six months. Um, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it was just I was in a tunnel vision of that Ironman. And when that happened, it, it, again, it's, like, it's insane for me, but I, you know, it was, I was so in tune with my religion and my faith at that point. I just knew it was still going to happen. So before the x-ray, on the way to the hospital, I told my wife, I don't think it's broken. We get to the hospital, the x-rays are there. My my ulnar my is broken, forearm is broken in three pieces. It's three pieces. Um, and my wife was in tears um, because, I mean, she's been backing me all the way. She, she was my backup. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just insane because I... I just told her, look, I, th- I believe this is still going to happen. I'm in a cast for two weeks. They, they, I was operating and a plate was put in. The doctor, when I told him I was training for the Ironman and then this is now what happened, he laughed because he thought, how can I be training for Ironman to start off with? Yeah. And then, I mean, when I told him, look, I'm still going to go for it, <laughs> he like shook his head and I just told him, just work with me. We'll take an x-ray every week. Um, you know, and I, yeah, you know, I was very clear about how I did it. Um, Ray not and my coach, we were very clever about um, how we you, you don't cause imbalances because now you're training only with the one-arm while it's in a cast, etc. Yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I did insane stuff like six-hour indoor rides on one arm while I'm mm. on a cast, etc. I mean, and I probably didn't need to do that, but for me it was a, a mental thing. And I, I I'd, I'd honestly believe because I had put that 35-hour base weeks in, that helped me feel I I had such a base behind me that I can still do this kind of thing. Yes, yes. Cost came off, and my first swim, I thought the swimming would be fine. That's the thing that I probably will be able to control the most because it's my resistance through the water. And um, while swimming, I I was in such pain from my elbow, a long story. But look, we did read up everything about what muscles is working, not working. Yeah. Yeah. so it's a fine line, um, and, and people also say, but why couldn't you just wait till the next one? And I always say everybody knows who the first guy on the moon is. Nobody knows who the second guy on the moon Yes. And the problem is there was two other quadriplegics at that point in time who was also chasing to be the first quad in the world to do Ironman, and they were both in the quad, sport class above me. So they have triceps and a little bit of hand function. Yes. And um, to be honest, the month before my race, a guy attempted Ironman Florida, and he didn't make the swim cut off. So the point being, I, I didn't want those guys to go and steal my dream. Yeah. It's been my dream for 10 years to be the first guy to to do an Ironman as a quadriplegic. Um, anyway, and that's why I still chase for it. And, and as I said, it, I just knew it was going to happen. I can't explain it. Um, anyway, and two weeks before race day, this is now four weeks after I broke the arm, I was on the road for the first time, but I went to private waterboard road there in the south um, to do a 100k ride and see what average I would hold on it. And after that, I would decide, okay, I'm not cancelling the flights. Um, and um, then we decided, yes, I'm going to go for it.
0: To go for it. I can remember your your wife uh, WhatsApping me yeah. um, the whole way through. And yeah. um, I can remember getting in WhatsApp going... You know, Peter's he's done the swim, and now he's on the bike. And I I just spent that entire day just with knots in my stomach. And then suddenly I got this WhatsApp. He's on the run course. And then about an hour later, and I, I can remember just shaking my head when I read this message. The message went, he's on the run course, he's doing really, really well, but the runners are slowing him down. <laughs> and I just went, you've got to be yeah, kidding no. me. Uh, you've got to be kidding me. He's actually going to be able to, to, to pull this off. Another interesting little fact is that with, your, with the neck is you lost the ability to sweat.
1: Yeah actually one of the biggest challenges in like iron man um, yeah and I, as i said that's the thing people don't understand is um they just see oh, the wheelchair is the challenge yes the real challenges is you can't control your bowel and your bladder so you have to d- learn how to deal with that kind of stuff catheterizing yeah. on a day like iron man you know, to deal with your stomach, make sure your stomach will be okay. Um, you catheterize And if you don't catheterize in time, you can go into dysreflexia. It's actually dangerous. Yes. Uh, going crazy, etc. those kind of things. And then on top of that, um, because of, of the level of, of where I hurt my neck, um, no sweating. So your parasympathetic nervous system isn't operating as normal. The signals don't come through yes. normally. So you don't sweat at all. Um I can't get my blood pressure up. I can't get my heart rate up. Interesting fact... I'd be training, like, in the middle of the day, in the sun, going as hard as I can, and I can't get my heart rate higher than 125, 130 max, you know. So a- if I'm, like, on a hard interval, I would almost say, like, my lactic like, threshold heart rate would be somewhere between 115, 120, around there. Wow. Um, you okay. stand up and you hit 120.
0: Yeah. You know? yeah,
1: yeah. And all of that stuff actually affects how you can perform because you... If you can't get your heart rate up, you, can't, less, you can only go that way. Less
0: oxygenated, blood moving around, yeah.
1: So there's all those factors, and I mean like cooling myself down, having to throw water over me. Um, that first Man, I hadn't learned the trick of um, putting ice in silk stockings and putting that around me, because that lasts me for about 45, 50 minutes. Yes. Sometimes an hour, depending on the weather. Um, so there it was all about just getting thrown with water. So these are all challenges that's really the real tough part, other than the physical side of, hey, I'm only racing with 15% of muscle function.
0: So now my challenge was when we did Tri-Rock together, is after Tri-Rock we literally had lunch and hopped straight back into the car, and I didn't have have time to shower. (laughs) So um, on the way back to Joburg, I mean, you were smelling like a... Like a little ferry there, you had your yeah, deodorant I, on. Yeah, and I was practice. sitting in the car on the entire way back to Joburg, yeah. just caked with sea salt and sweat. And just being oh. aware, I, I think I put on about a litre of deodorant just so that I, I at that's least true. was acceptable.
1: So there's pros and cons to this whole thing. I mean, I can be trained, like a, I, I just trained an hour and a half now, i cycled before I got here. And yeah. Um, I didn't break a sweat, so it's all good you know I don't have to jump in the shower before I come to some. I the short
0: straw that day <laughs> <laughs> Peter for people that are listening to the podcast that are training for an Ironman right now training for Comrades or it could be Abso- Cape Epic something big, something that they feel is a little bit beyond themselves? Because we all look at these things and we go, this is just too big a challenge. What would you say to them to mentally get their heads around the challenge that they've got ahead of them?
1: I mean, a couple of things. First of all, it is a big challenge, but you need to break it down. I mean, everybody's heard this and you hear it, but I don't think you take it in and actually go and do it sometimes. And then you, you make this challenge too big. Um, Where if you break it up into small little goals on the way to the big one, it becomes much easier. Yes. The more you achieve these smaller goals, the more you start believing in the bigger one. As long as you keep the focus on the bigger one. Um, But, I mean, again, it it all comes down to why you're doing it. Something like an Ironman epic, those kind of things. It's not a one-man show. If you've got a family and those kind of things, they need to be on board. Yes. Because you need to put in the hours. Um, you know, don't, I always say, you get these crazy guys doing comrades off so little training. Um, and, I, you know, I always feel it's fine, but then you end up almost not enjoying the day because yeah. you get so stuffed by the end of the day. Of the day then, So I, I just say, make sure you do enough to be able to enjoy what you're doing on that day. Yes. But yeah, you know, the big thing is, you know, whether you have a coach or not, just be, have a knowledgeable program on the way and on the road to doing it um, but then get your family everybody needs to be on board and it's always the why why are you doing it Yeah. And it helps you keep the focus on um, you know if it becomes challenging and those kind of things it helps keep the focus on why you are doing it because if, if you have the why you are doing it then it, it helps keep you motivated um, yeah. and as I said then make sure you have those smaller goals that you hit um And um, I always say, if you set the date...
0: So that would be, I want to ride 40 kilometers, Now I want to be able to ride 50, and like a 180 or 90. It's
1: different for like an elite professional athlete versus a guy who's never done this before, and he wants to just go and do it. Mm. It doesn't mean it's easier for for the guy who's never done it versus the elite athlete. I sometimes think it's even harder for that guy who's never done it because they've never learned how to push their bodies if I can put it that way yes but like a goal for me might be something like how fast I want to do that session or growth where for for another guy who's never done it is to hit those miles
2: yes yeah
1: those milestones literally um, and that now you have done it and and, but also to be clever about how to reach those milestones and also to realise that like in my case where I wanted to do a nine hour ride that was a mental thing but it's a whole different challenge for me you don't have to go run a comrades, to be able to run a yes, sure. beforehand. Yeah. You, you know, you need to just do clever training. And, um, yeah, you know, those, those small little goals. I always say if you set a date, it becomes a goal. Otherwise, it stays a dream. Mm. So you set your dates for those goals. And even if you don't reach that goal entirely, as long as you hit most of them, I promise you, if you stick to your training program, then you'll probably hit them. Yes. Because a goal must be a reachable thing. It mustn't be an impossible thing. Yes. Put it that way. Um, And then the more you hit those smaller goals, then the more you'll hit those bigger goals, and then the more you'll just start believing in yourself.
0: I love that because I think if the goal is too big, you know, if you sit there going, I want to run a four minute mile, it's for, for, for 99.9999% of the population is not going to happen. Whereas if you go, I want to be able to run at 6 minutes 30, okay, and then at 6.20 and you slowly progress through there.
1: Exactly. And, I mean, that's the thing for me. Um, yeah, you know, and this is not probably where the elite side of it comes in a bit more, but, I mean, things like um, being told that you won't be able to dress yourself. Yeah. Um, how did I get myself to believe that, I? I am going to dress myself. That I can't really explain to you, but again, the moment I figured out how to do one part of the dressing, I started believing more and more. Um, And look, I I mean, maybe this is where I can, I always tell people, I, I do it so often about my getting dressed story, but that is really where I started to believe in the impossible being possible again. Yeah. And it's again, breaking those smaller goals and moving forward. But uh, you know, after my accident, I was still, I'll never be able to dress by myself and be independent, etc. And I just didn't want to believe that. Um, yes. And I just thought, I will figure this out. Um, but anyway, so then I started figuring out, okay, I would be able to put on a shirt and that. But how with no hand finger movement? How do you put a sock on? And remember, so for me, I, I wanted to do this without any tools. Yeah. How do you put your shoes on? How do you dress yourself? Um, Anyway, so I had figured out every single part of getting dressed. Um, the first time I put, managed to put my sock on, I think it took me, that session was like one hour, and I finally got one sock on not using any tools. Um, yeah. But anyway, the point being, then I decided, okay, now I can fully dress myself. Let me see how long it takes me. And I timed myself, and it took me 51 minutes um, to be fully dressed, and I was dead tired. Yeah. Um, and, look, that was recent after I got out of rehab back, back home. So, yes. I mean, obviously I was still picking up weight again. So, I mean, there's reasons why I was very tight. But then I said, okay, I can't dress for almost an hour every day. That's not functional. Yeah. So I made my target. I want to try and get dressed in 15 minutes, 1-5. And then I said, um, every day I'm going to tie myself on your marks, get a go start the stop ruts. The lady that was with me um, she, I could see she didn't laugh, but she wanted to laugh. Mm. I told her, on your mark, she'd go and she'd start the stopwatch. And then when I get to 15 minutes, I stop and then she can finish dressing me. Mm. With the whole idea that eventually I'll get closer and closer and eventually be fully dressed. Yes. 15. Anyway, two weeks later, she started cheering me on because she started seeing, geez, this guy's getting closer to being fully dressed. And it took me about a month and I opened my eyes and I was fully dressed in 15 minutes. And then I said, I'm not going to leave it there. I'm going to make my impossible world record target seven minutes. But the reason being, as I saw myself getting um, dressing faster, um, it motivated me. Yes. And I started timing everything I did because for me, time was, uh, I'm getting better at living this life as a quad kind of thing. Yes. Anyway, I kept going at it under 13 minutes, under 12 minutes. And I think it was another two months later, I opened my eyes and I broke seven minutes to be dressed fully. And that was, you know, for me, it, it, again, it just shows me how, uh, you know, you shouldn't, for me, I see a, it's okay to see the barrier, but I see a barrier as something that I want to go and smash through. Yes. Um, you know, where people often they see these impossible barriers and then they just turn around and walk away. I say keep going, keep trying, keep trying. And maybe you never get there. Yeah. But I promise you, you're going to be a hell of a lot closer than if you never even started going down this road of trying to do it.
0: Kind of, if you aim for the stars, you might hit the moon. Exactly. Uh, yeah.
1: And yeah. sometimes you might hit the moon. Sometimes you might be way past what you even thought was going yes. to be possible. Yes, yes. And now just to finish it off, um, you know, I don't tie myself every day anymore, but every now and then I go for a record. And currently my record for getting dressed is two minutes and 41 seconds. Two and a half times faster almost than what I thought was going to What's be impossible. possible. Yeah. So the point being that, that the more you like hit those targets, then you believe even more. Then you believe even more. You know, and that's my point about just see this big dream that you have, Ironman, uh, uh, Epic, etc. Mm. But first point to, okay, I want to do that 40K race. I want to do that. I want to do that. And as you start hitting those targets, one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps yes. back. Um, but eventually, if you're going to get there then. Yeah. You're going to believe that you're going to get there.
0: I think what you, what you said earlier as well, you've got, you've got to have a team around you. Um, you've got a wonderful wife, I know, Ilza well. You've also got a little son who uh, I, I see him around the Sunning Hill area. He's on his push bike. Uh, he's got a face that is determined as anything. I wonder where he gets that from. Uh, how, how old is he now?
1: He's now just uh, two months, 10, 3, uh, in April.
0: Okay, and he's he's gorgeous, huh? so, yeah, so congratulations on that.
1: That's incredible, yeah, I must say. I mean, world titles, world records, uh, doesn't doesn't touch.
0: Doesn't come close yeah. to the little guy. Incredible. People that want to follow you on social media, you're on Twitter as Super, S-U-P-A-P-I-E-T, Super Pete. Um And is Twitter your main sort of thing?
1: Yeah, look, I'm not a big social media guy, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Twitter... Um, they can follow my wife at Ilza DP, DP uh, you know, on Instagram as well.
2: Yes. Um,
1: and then Facebook, but yeah, mainly I'm on Twitter at this stage of my life. But okay. Yeah, okay. Um,
0: we'll put the, we'll put put those leads up, just because I think it's it's lovely for people to be able to just follow that journey of of yours because it really is it's an incredibly inspirational journey. I think for people listening to this going, I don't know if I could do an Iron Man, you know. Uh, If by the end of this podcast, you still think you can't, then you won't. But, (laughs) you know, if you're sitting there going, I've got 100% muscle use or even 90 or 80 or 50%, you've managed to pull this off with 15% and just sheer grit and determination and pure resilience, getting... Broken arm. (laughs) And a broken arm. Okay. Peter, last thoughts just uh, for anybody listening to this.
1: I just always feel that um, when a bad thing happens, it's an opportunity to be great. So, you know, I just want to put that out for people to realize that, uh, you know, I honestly believe um, you can turn any situation into something great. But it starts within yourself and you have to believe it um, and, and trust yourself. And then you can. So... That's what I would say for now.
0: Peter Duprier, absolute privilege to have you here. No, it was
1: an honour. Thanks guys.